This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Liverpool in focus. One topic, one guest. Every week. Hello, it's John Buskell here from Stockholm in Sweden and welcome to episode 52 of the In Focus podcast. On the show this week, I've got Emma Sanders, BBC sports journalist, talking about the psychology of winning. And it was brilliant of Emma to take some of her time on her day off to talk about that. I really enjoyed the conversation and it was a great way for me to get back into talking about Liverpool. Uh, thank you. Those of you who got in touch, wondered where I was. Had I fallen off the podcasting planet? Well, unfortunately, I had some uh, illness in the family, so I've had to take care of things for the last month. But back in the saddle, as it were, ready to talk Liverpool. And I think I enjoy this conversation so, so much, and I hope you do. Emma Sanders and myself talking about the psychology of winning, and of course, a little bit about how Stephen Gerrard is a Shakespearean tragic figure. So, Emma, why Liverpool? Well, it's a bit of a strange story, really. Um, my dad was in the Royal Air Force, so I was living in Germany when I was younger. Um, I, I, I think I, I was obviously born born there and then moved back to England within sort of three or four months as a baby but don't remember that so from the age of two um to roughly around seven um I lived on an RAF camp in a place called RAF Bruggen in in Germany so I used to watch a lot of German football my dad had a season ticket for Borussia Mönchengladbach um but obviously you know because it was an RAF camp it was very English and um I, we used to follow English football. and I remember the 1998 World Cup when Michael Owen scored that goal against Argentina. That and, goal. <laughs> yeah, incredible goal. And um, I just remember falling in love with Michael Owen and I started watching Liverpool. Um, I mean, I already knew of them anyway. Like I said, I followed the, you know, the, the English game very, very well anyway. But I started following Liverpool uh, mainly because of him and uh, by the time I then moved to England I was just dying to go and watch him play um, and Liverpool but mainly Owen. That's amazing and that's wonderful I'm, I'm sorry I have yeah. to, I, I'm just like so excited here because that's the first time anyone has come on this show and I think I'm into the 50s or thereabouts now um, and said I fell in love with Liverpool because of Michael Owen. And, I know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and for me, you know, I was, we were just talking before I hit record and I was saying, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a 48 year old guy. Uh, and, and Michael Owen for me was, you know, when I was 20, 22, 23. And, and, and I remember at the time, or 25 even, I remember at the time, it, it, 
I never liked Owen as much as, you know, Robbie Fowler. Fowler for me was, you know, the king or God. Yeah. I never liked calling him that. But, you know, he was, he was, he was just fantastic. Michael Owen, I remember when Owen came on, on, you know, when he made his breakthrough, I think I was, uh, I was listening on the radio. I was living in Copenhagen at the time. And there was the, he came on, I think, against Wimbledon or something like that. And, and they were raving about this young kid. And when I finally saw him, he only ever looked like a schoolboy in sort of slightly long shorts. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but there is a whole generation of Liverpool fans out there. D- do you still have this kind of, wow, he was a brilliant player? No, it's been, I think my, sort of opinion of him has been has been tainted um obviously hugely because of that move to Manchester United. Um in a way I feel really betrayed. I think if there's one player who's betrayed me, um I think, you know, Fernando Torres was up there when he left to Chelsea. That still uh, you know, that still hurts <coughs> me now, although I have forgiven him. But yeah, I don't think I, I ever will forgive Michael Owen. I I don't think I will because he was just so I mean, I I played football myself and he was very much like me as a player, just this little speedy, tiny thing that played up front and was quite prolific. And I saw a lot of his play in the way that I played. I mean, I was talking when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten. Um, but, yeah. you know, I used to celebrate goals in my back garden as as if I was Michael Owen. So when he, when he left Liverpool, it, it hurt. And then when he then, you know, came back to England and, and it was, you know, with Man- Manchester United. And obviously by that time I was a teenager. Um, yeah, I I don't think I'll ever forgive him for that. That's really, inter- really interesting. Because so many times when Michael Owen comes up in conversation, there is this hesitation about, you know, he goes off and goes to Real Madrid and it doesn't work out for him. And then he doesn't come back to Liverpool. He and I remember myself at the time thinking, I don't want Owen back. Um, off he goes yeah. to Newcastle, has a injury-ridden sort of career there, and he goes off to United. And I, I've heard him talk about winning the league, you know, with United. And I, of course, I never wished him ill or anything like that, but it does taint uh, the memory of Michael Owen because some of my be- very best Liverpool memories have Michael Owen scoring the winner, even though I've seen, you know, I saw Liverpool from from the 77, 78 onwards. Uh, that's my sort of memory of Liverpool. But still, some of the some of those great goals that Owen scored really, really meant something. And I'm trying to make a natural s- segue or to seek into the topic of the show here because I, I wanted to talk about the psychology of winners. And I actually think that Michael Owen, he had what it took to be a winner. No matter what, when Michael Owen pulled on that red shirt or any shirt, Michael Owen was going to win. He was going to score. Put him, you know, put him on against Argentina, put him on against Wimbledon, against Arsenal, couple of minutes left to go. Michael Owen had the attitude of someone that could win. Okay, his body didn't didn't keep up with him, but he had psychologically, I really think he he had that killer instinct. Do you yeah. do, do do you agree with me? Yeah, I do because I I remember him scoring those was it two late goals against Arsenal uh, mm. to win the FA Cup, um, and I just remember him. Well, I mean, he's spoken afterwards about how he didn't return to Liverpool, and he said, "I I went to Manchester United because they asked me to come back. Liverpool didn't, and I just wanted to play football." And a part of me does does believe that you know it wasn't his intention to stab Liverpool in the back. I think he just enjoyed playing football. And like you say, every time he went out on the pitch, he 
He just wanted to score goals, um, wanted to have fun and wanted to win every single game. And I think I think in in the modern game now there's there's so many footballers who think too much about the business side of the game and they don't necessarily just go out because they love the game. They love to win football matches. And that's something that Michael Owen, I yeah, I strongly agree. He always that was all he wanted to do was to just win football matches. I think it's a really interesting dynamic between us as fans, the the club, what it stands for, the individual players. We all want to win. For me as a Liverpool supporter, and as I say this fairly regularly, it's about the romance, it's the journey, it's not the destination. Because no matter of the destination, whether it's lifting the trophy in Istanbul or whatever, it it always, you know, starts again come August. It it keeps rolling and and there are these high points and low points. But I think this whole idea of a winning mentality, I I sometimes think that we confuse... Or, or, or lose sight of, we lose sight of the desire to win because we get caught up in discussions of loyalty, of, you know, kissing the badge and being at the club forever. The whole thing around Jared, for example, Stephen Jared was a phenomenal winner who was, you know, desperate to win. But Jared also desperately wanted to win for Liverpool. And ultimately, I used to be a university professor before I, you know, had a nervous breakdown and nearly jumped out of an eighth window. But that's another story. <laughs> but but Stephen Jared for me is the classic Shakespearean character. The tragedy of Stephen Jared, you know, literary scholars out there, is that Jared's big ultimate weakness, his tragic quality was that he loved Liverpool so much yeah. that he didn't go off to Chelsea and win the Premier League. You know, he 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 probably yeah. has the ultimate victory of them all because of Istanbul. But 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 for me, Jared, he he is a winner. But that that quality that Jared had was was that he didn't put winning. He wanted to win in red in a red outfit in a red footballer's costume. Or you know, sorry, I'm you know I'm thinking in Swedish here. But but that you know he, mm-hmm. that was what it was for Jared. And I, I think there are so many different levels in the club and in the history of Liverpool Club between winners who won things because they would do anything to win. And then there are those who didn't win enough because they weren't as heartless, that they weren't as ruthless. Stephen Gerrard was stuck in a side carrying arguably six or seven players who weren't I mean of course he was absolute world class but Stephen Gerrard deserved to be playing in a in a side where there were phenomenal quality players around him yeah no that's a really interesting point and I think this is why I I don't have any bad taste towards you know Philip Coutinho for his move to Barcelona I think obviously the way in which he handed in his his transfer request the day before the first game of the season I think was wrong and I think the way he went about it he could have done better but I definitely don't begrudge him for wanting to move to Barcelona because as you say that is the mentality of you know <clears throat> real winners is to go on and play for the best play against the best and play with the best and that's essentially what Coutinho has chosen to do by leaving us and joining Barcelona Um I think Robin Van Persie did the same when he was at Arsenal he was their captain he was their leader, but he recognised, I can't win anything. I need to go to Manchester United. And he did so and effectively won the title for them. Um, so, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, 
yeah, it's like you say, it's it's a different type of winning mentality. Fantastic, Emma. I think it's great to have, you know, sort of deeply existential philosophical questions on an Easter bank, you know, bank holiday <laughs> Monday. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I, I suppose while you were saying that, the one thing that occurred to me is that, <clears throat> and, and I have no insight into this other than that my son played, um, uh, you know, he, he had a, he had a contract with AIK, which is the, you know, it's like, playing for Arsenal or Spurs or whatever here in Sweden. He had a contract with them when he was 14. He played with them up until the age of 17 when injury and his diva personality took him in a different, <laughs> in a different, you know, route. And now hopefully he's on the road to being uh, the next, uh, I don't know, maybe Sweden's uh, Jose Mourinho. I think, I think he has the character mindset for that, but, but he's, <laughs> his experience of, of, of winning and of playing in a, you know, a top quality side in his generation. He talks about the, the the small things it wasn't just the victories in tournaments that they played in it, it's it's not the the medals that he has on his wall and this is just at, at a kid's level of course you know when you get up to playing nationally and internationally maybe he takes on different things but what i'm trying to i think what i'm trying to say is that steven jared risks not he risks everything because winning with liverpool would have been the absolute absolute pinnacle it is that kind of you know shakespearean sonnet of it is better to have you know loved and lost than not loved at all in a way i think for steve and i mean i'm psychologizing it and and it would be very interesting to get you know jared in the room but i think if you look at what jared goes through the that jared winning the premier league in that that nearly season would have been such a a phenomenal story that maybe everything was worth risking for that. But there will be those players who've won titles like Michael Owen. I mean, how many games did he play for United in the season that they, that he gets his winning, winning medal? I mean, it must've been as close to 10 as possible. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's, let's shift the conversation slightly, Emma. What is the standout Liverpool victory for you? Well, I mean, if I'm talking about in my lifetime, um, nothing will ever be Istanbul for me. Um, I know we spoke before, uh, obviously, you know, given my age, I don't really remember much. I, I sort of vaguely remember the Gerard Houllier era, but it's mainly Rafa Benitez is, that stands out as my first, you know, real Liverpool era. And it's still, you know, the most successful one. What do you remember about that game? Um well, I remember I was watching it with um, a group of friends because I was at boarding school when I was younger. Um, obviously, with my dad being in the RAF, it made sense. And I was watching it with a group of, of my friends at school who were also Liverpool fans and a couple of teachers who were you know, Liverpool fans. Mm. And I was actually told to go to bed at half time. And I was in tears because we were losing 3-0. And um, I just thought, I'm not, I'm not going to bed. Uh, we're still going to win this. And I remember getting into an argument with with one of the teachers because he was like, "Don't be stupid! Like you're losing three 0 You need, you know, you know, you're not going to win this." And I was like, "In yeah, I was in hysterics and basically said to him, i 'I'm watching this game.' Eventually, I won the argument <laughs> and um, <laughs> and managed to watch the game. And he actually came up to me and apologized the next morning and said, "If I had made you miss that game, then." I would have had to have quit teaching because he was like, if there's any, if there's anything in sport that can teach you all of the right, re- all of the right mentalities, then that game was it because it, it just had absolutely everything. I mean, for me, it was, 
we shouldn't have won that game. We we like there's no on paper, there's no way we should have won that game. No. That AC Milan side were exceptional. They had some of the best players in the world. And we quite frankly were were relatively average, apart from a, a few world class players. Um Alonso before his peak, I'd say, Gerard in mm. his peak. Um and you know, a good a good defensive partnership at the back. But it was just that was one of those moments where we wanted to win the game and no other team would would win that basically no matter who we were playing against we were going to win that game and that all came from like you say it all came from Steven Gerrard he was like I am winning this game my team is winning this game and no one is stopping us from doing this and it was just I mean we had a strong spine like I said and we had huge leaders in the team but it was like no die attitude which ultimately won us the whole thing and like you say for me being a football fan it is about the romance and you know you could you could have a routine victory where you score early on and then you contain the opposition you go on to win 2-0 and that's all fantastic but coming from three goals behind and winning in the penalty shootout in the way that we did I I think that's much better and it was just yeah, it's one of the greatest games of all time and the greatest game in my lifetime that I've ever watched in football. I, I find it very interesting the way that you... I, I was listening very carefully to the vocabulary you were using to describe that. as well. I mean, I was enjoying the teaching anecdote. Of course, it is mm-hmm. fantastic. Imagine the horror. He would, he would still be having nightmares to this day, you know. Yeah. Every time <laughs> Liverpool was mentioned, that washed-up teacher, what could it be? Uh, but I was listening to your vocabulary in particular because you started using words like spine, you know, the spine of the team. You yeah. started using the language of of an adult football fan who is versed in the discourse of football and of course at the time you were you were a young kid you know you're you're, you're just a you know you're a little bit younger than my son Lever. and you know I remember him he's a man sorry you know he's a Manchester United supporter <laughs> of course oh dear. in that generation yes yes exactly three three you know I, I had three of them in the house here and um he but he at the time and you know he, uh, in fact, on the night of that game, I'd picked him up for him and a couple of lads up from from training over in Solna here in, in in Stockholm, and he had assured me that Liverpool would win, absolutely no doubt. And I and I I turned around to him and I said, you know, don't be ridiculous, you know, it's it's yeah. AC Milan, we've got Jimmy Tarori likely to start, you know, <laughs> this much much rumored. Um, we we just didn't, you know, we just didn't have it have a side that was capable of it as far as I was concerned there I was that you know the adult the experienced Liverpool fan of all the years of course I had the there was part of me that was desperate for us to win there was the 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 romance that was going but when I looked at the match by halftime when we're 3-0 down I could see no no route back for us I could see the I could see the the desire in some of the players certainly you know the, the 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 Swedish TV over here featured, uh, you know the, the 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 Liverpool supporters. It picked up on. They showed some of the the sort of you know the the the, the fans were really trying to get behind the side, um, but but basically it was all you know all done and dusted. And I was very much can you know on the verge of considering going and doing something else because having to sit through a second half where we were, but no, you know I I'm 
got myself together and, and watched it. But I, I had no idea what it would come from. Leva, my son, was still convinced that we would get back into it. And I, I, you know, I am now going back and constructing my own reading of that evening. But I'm seeing him as a child, you know, with childhood enthusiasm, believing in the romance of football. But as it turns out, Liverpool do come back and do go on to win. And as you rightly say, it's probably the game of football of all time, given the whole context of everything. And when I look back at that game, and I've watched it numerous times over the years, I've talked to lots of people about it over the years on podcasts and just meeting up with with friends who also support Liverpool. I still can't understand. I can't still can't understand what is the changing dynamic. And I think for me, what I come back to every time is the fact that AC Milan thought that they had won it at half time. Not not Benitez. Not Jared's goal. I mean, all those are factors that get us back on the road. I, I personally started to believe when Smitza hits the goal. You know, that's where yeah. that's where I start to, and that's my favourite of all the goals. I know people go on about Jared's goal, but it's always Vladdy's goal for me. But yeah. but it, it it it's AC Milan's attitude that they they that they feel they've already won it at half time and stop playing. Until it's yeah. too late. Yeah, no, that's interesting because, I mean, I always say to win, you it's a combination of a, of several things, and there's but there's always one thing which stands out. And I think for me, even after we'd come back from three goals down, Shevchenko should have won it at the end anyway. And I just think AC Milan collapsed. Like you say, mentally, I think they did. They were they were far too. Um, composed going into the half-time break and then I think those two early goals in the second half knocked them and I think they panicked and they, and they didn't know what to do and then when it was three all I like there was no even going into penalties I think Liverpool were always going to win it like there was just no way that that narrative would have swung back in AC Milan's favour I think they just completely collapsed mm. mentally mm. and um, and Liverpool was so fired up and they were so full of belief that there was only really one outcome. Mm, mm. I can't remember what I felt at the time. Probably knowing me, I was trying to hide behind a cushion, but then forcing myself to watch it because I have this sort of yeah. running discourse <laughs> with myself of not, you can't look, you have to look. They're going through <laughs> it on the pitch. You, you, you're right. I, th- I, I, th- I think that when things turn, then the momentum is with Liverpool. But, one of the things that fascinates me most about that Liverpool side is with the introduction of Benitez into the side, and I, I know there are there's the pro Benitez, there's the anti Benitez camps, and there's all that whole you know story of what's going on in the club, the finance issues in the club. Benitez for me is a fantastic manager because from the get go, when Valencia beat Liverpool. You could see that here was a football brain that could be. He, he could he could take a match. He could take a side with a scalpel and cut it apart and 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 identify that little bit of you know miniature that would change something that that could turn something. I th- I I think Benitez he could stay cool. He could stay calm, and he could use his intellect 
to really impact things. And I don't know what his his role in that match itself is, but certainly Benitez's Liverpool, I think, have a very different psychology to, well, you know, given your age, you you probably don't remember certainly you don't remember anything before Julia's the, the Evans generation but but if, if you if you think forwards from from Benitez if you think of the psychology of the managers that we we've had Benitez is the Liverpool manager that does not get ruffled yeah I mean I couldn't agree with that more because for me Benitez he's one of my favorite managers of all time and it's because he is a winner he's also I would describe a perfectionist every game he prepared for he he did with so much detail and for me he's one of the greatest tacticians that I have seen in in management in recent years and he I think you know I think he did play a role in that final in the, the fact that he made that crucial substitution at halftime with um Didi Haman coming on which I think made a massive difference yeah um I've written about this in the past so you know my views on that have always been quite strong I do think you know Haman was a catalyst um so I, did, I do think he played his role directly in terms of management in that game. However, I think it was just the way he could swing games tactically. He knew how to get the best out of, out of that Liverpool team, not just in that match, obviously, you know, in his whole era. He knew where their strengths were, where their weaknesses were, and therefore set up tactically in a way which would enhance the strengths and that team that he built was based around Gerard, and I mean any manager would be foolish not to when when he's in his prime. But Benitez did it in a, in a way that was that was so intelligent and so perfect, really. That you know he he just knew how to win games, and he'd proven that you know time and time again. Obviously, he, you know he did it with Napoli in the Italian Cup, he did it with Valencia in La Liga <clears throat> before. Um, obviously, he showed it. In in a Chelsea Chelsea team where nobody wanted him to succeed, nobody wanted him to do well at Chelsea. The supporters hated him. The club didn't want him. He was there for a year, and he's delivered the Europa League title. And I, I just mean, if that in itself doesn't show how good of a manager he is, then I don't know what will. Because you know everything was stacked against him then, and he still turned around and and delivered precisely. What was Precisely. I mean, that's a spine-tinging. That's a spine-tinging podcast moment, there, kids. Exactly <laughs> as, you, as you said, Emma. When Benitez goes to Chelsea, he puts everything aside. Come on, let's face it. He's he's he is some some yeah. of the most you know that the the games between Chelsea and Liverpool absolutely vitriolic. Benitez cool as a cucumber and he's got a great sense of humor in he goes to Chelsea and he wins them the, the Europa and I remember when they win that everyone's going on about Chelsea the side blah 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 and the camera pans to Benitez who's sort of you know having a chuckle to someone next Benitez is as hard as they come and I yeah. actually think that you can say well Benitez doesn't deliver the Premier League no he doesn't he doesn't deliver the Premier League, but Liverpool perennially overachieve with Benitez. And I don't oh, think, definitely. you know, and, and that's another story. We know what happens. But I think if you look at what 
the the best Liverpool side under Benitez, and I don't think it's the one that wins the the the, the Champions League. It's probably the one that loses the Champions League. But mm-hmm. Benitez makes such winning decisions. I mean, he gets the best out of Steven Gerrard, playing Steven Gerrard in the position that Gerrard himself doesn't like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that in itself is is a bold move, and even Gerrard has said, you know, since then that he didn't necessarily get on on a personal level with Benitez I don't think he says that he you know that they disliked each other but I think there was a clear you know distinction between Benitez was the manager he was the boss it was his team whereas I think with Gerard Julio it was a you know he was a bit more pally with the team and you know they liked him on a personal note but Benitez was simply there to do a job to win a game of football and he was ruthless if somebody wasn't good enough if they'd been at the club for, you know, for 10, 20 years, it wouldn't have mattered. He would have axed them straight away. And that's the difference, I think, between Benitez and, and Houllier and, and other managers um, that have been at Liverpool is that Benitez was completely ruthless. And that was why he won games. Yeah, I think I, re- I recall reading an interview with um, or a profile of, of Houllier and Jared. This is around the time that Jared is very young and has first come into the side. I think it was about the time that he gets given the captaincy. And I yeah. re- remember it as being described as Julier, Jared was being interviewed and Julier pops his head round the door and the journalist describes it as if it was the trainer checking on his most prized possession and in he comes with a <laughs> towel and sort of, you know, make sure that, you know, Stevie, here's your glass of water, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's something paternal, very paternal about Julia's relationship with Jared. I mean, God, I'm going back to Shakespeare again. Here we are, we've <laughs> got, you know, the, the, the father figure for Jared who bigs him up, who gives him the, gives him the, 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 the keys to the crown, if you like. Oh, Jared goes off to become captain and Benitez comes in and Jared does Single-handedly, of course, Jared doesn't, but single-handedly brings the kingdom the biggest victory of all. And what does Benitez do? He sort of says, you know, well, you know, yeah, you've done pretty well, Stevie. Now let's do this. Now let's do that. And he, sh- you know, he goes off and he he gets rid of Dudek, brings in Reina. Jersey Dudek saves a penalty in the greatest final of all time. And what does Benitez do? He brings in his replacement. <laughs> exactly winning mentality i don't think that i I, and again this is this is becoming a podcast not about the psychology of winning but but john's psychology of uh what might have been but but stephen gerrard does not have a a sad dwindling of his career at liverpool under benitez benitez just chops him out I mean, that's what, what would have happened. Brendan Rodgers, we, we see Jared stranded on the bench. For me, Jared stranded on the bench at Real Madrid is the saddest thing in Steven Jared's career. Not losing finals, but Steven yeah. Jared stranded on the bench, not being able to do anything. Benitez would yeah. have axed him. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, like say that Real Madrid, I think he mentions it actually. Um, in a, in an interview or in a, in his autobiography, um, but he mentions, you know, the fact that he wants to play at the peak throughout his career, and he didn't want to be this player that sort of is there as a rotational squad player, and he was that under under Rogers, and I think it was only a matter of time before he said, right, that's that's it, I've had enough. But I think Benitez, in his way of being quite you know, 
unflattering towards Gerard, got the best out of him because he always wanted more from him and he knew that he had more to give. Gerard was everything. He was Mr. Liverpool, but he was Mr. Liverpool without a European Cup until Benitez came along and mm. said, you've not, you've not won anything. Go and win me something, and then you know, and and then you might be this world class player that everyone talks about, and that that's what you went and did. Now you're quite fascinating, Emma, because you're someone who comes from uh, like me. You know, for me, it was Kenny Dalglish, Kevin Keegan, Kenny Dalglish, Graham Souness. You know, falling in love with with that whole romance of of those sides when I was young. With you, it's Michael Owen being brought into the Liverpool country. You know, Mister Sacco. Um, <laughs> yet, yet we've we've then gone on to to take very sort of pragmatic views of football being attracted to a manager who's probably been one of the toughest managers in it certainly in your lifetime of following Liverpool uh, yeah. you know the the Hodgson's the 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 Rogers I know there's the the Dalglish's as, as well now we're in a situation I think this is where I'm trying to get to is that You've obviously got a lot of respect for Benitez, like I have, that he's been instrumental. Now we're in, we've been in an era where it is the cult of the manager, more than perhaps Marino aside, or no Pep Guardiola too. But we've got to a point where the, the cult of the manager is so dominant. You could almost say that under Jurgen Klopp, that our most high profile quote, quote, player has been Jurgen Klopp whereas under yeah. Benitez or Julier it's you know it's it's Gerard or it's Owen or whoever you know goes through how how important it, uh, this is what I'm trying to get to is is it the dynamic of the psychology of the manager is is that what's so important is it an individual player and if so because I mean, of course, we can all say, "Oh, it's the it's that unique combination of everything." But I'm I'm, re- I'm pushing you here. Is it the manager that makes a significant difference, or is it the cult of that supreme player? Because we're beginning to get that with Mo Salah in our current squad. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that one because I think it depends on the type of players you have in the team. And the philosophy of the manager in place at that moment in time. So, for example, Benitez was this was was this hard nut who was a perfectionist, and he identified that he had somebody like him as a player, <coughs> and sort of, I think, very very smartly pushed the pressure onto Gerard to get the best out of him. Whereas I think Klopp, so so that in that in that circumstance, it, it was about the player. It was all about. Gerard being the man of the moment but Klopp is his philosophy is completely different his style of football is completely different it's all about team momentum and intensity and you know this work rate and working for each other and trusting your teammates so I think in order for his philosophy to work Klopp has to be the pinnacle of that team he has to sort of suck everyone in like a magnet and bring that team together so yeah, so he has to be the the most important cog, you know, and that's just because I think because of his philosophy of football. But in that instance, yes, it is all about the manager. Fantastic. That's a really, really, again, the English word falls out of my brain completely. It's a really <laughs> succinct, it's a really succinct uh, 
breakdown, I think, of, of my own feelings as well. I think you put it really far more articulately than I could ever have done. But it was really, really, <laughs> well, really well put because, you know, with Benitez like uh, scalpel, you've gone in and, and really cut apart exactly what it comes down to. I, I suppose, though, when I look at where we're at with Jurgen Klopp and going, going forward, he seems to have amassed you know, a phenomenally exciting football team. The performance against Crystal Palace aside, yeah. the Klopp's Liverpool, they are for me a truly swashbuckling Liverpool. They are high-octane, cliched, heavy metal football, etc., etc. The ability to, in a second, rip a side apart. There is something absolutely fantastic there. But with with Klopp's Liverpool, it seems so much about momentum, whereas with uh, Hulier, I always felt with Hulier's side, it was the, the sucker punch, the counter-attack punch. A Hulier's side would almost take the momentum of the opponent and then sort of thump it back at them like a boxer. Wham, you've been smacked. <laughs> the, the Michael Owen winners against Arsenal is, is for me, pure Hulier actually yeah. you know struggling right until the end whereas with what Klopp seems to have put together here he he seems to take take the personality of the players all apart and to create a, a Liverpool personality which is this I, I I'm struggling here because I don't want to say it's a winning mentality but it's it, it, it's um swashbuckling it's prepared to tackle anything to keep going there is there is not the fragility there that's what i'm trying to say is that the yeah. psychology of a clop side at the moment is 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 to keep fighting what what do you see as the psychology of the liverpool side at the moment yeah i agree with with all the points that you made there you know and especially the the fragility one i think that's um yeah definitely the case with with clops liverpool but I think what what I've really enjoyed about about Klopp and what he's done is that he's come in and he's built on the leadership of players that we already had who weren't key roles, you'd say. I mean, Jordan Henderson and James Milner um, were players who were, you know, familiar in, in the team, in the squad, but they weren't players who the fans spoke about. You know, it's even now people still criticise Jordan Henderson on a, on a weekly basis and they don't think he's good enough but he clearly has leadership skills that Klopp likes and it's obviously working because the team is all together and that's under the leadership of Henderson and Milner as captain and vice captain so he's obviously done something you know done something right there so he's built on those personalities that were already there he's also developed talents that were there that were perhaps not being utilised in the right way. Um, Bobby Firmino is is the obvious one. He is, he is now the absolute pinnacle of, of Klopp's team, you know, leading from the front in terms of intense team pressing. Um, and he's also done a lot of work with the young players, obviously Joe Gomez and Trent Alexander-Arnold, who were already there, who'd already been built upon, you know, Liverpool philosophies and, and the Liverpool way. And they had Liverpool, you know, the Liverpool youth system in their roots. And he's just brought the best out of them. So he hasn't actually changed Liverpool. All he's done is, like you say, basically changed their mentality. And he's done that by 
by this obviously this work ethic and and this team philosophy but he's then added talent into that and I think that's the key because he's brought in Salah he's brought in Van Dijk he's brought in Andy Robertson who is now making a, a you know a, a big difference he's brought in those those talented players who I think will take this team from a team who had potential and who are developing which is what people have been speaking about for the last five or six years but they're now not a developing team they're now a team who should be winning and there's now an expectation on this team because there is talent there as well that they have to win something and because there's now that expectation Klopp has now taken this team up to another level but that level won't be complete until they do win something That's very interesting. I've now I feel like a shrink, you know, hmm, tell me about your childhood. Um, <laughs> I, I find that interesting because, yes, Klopp has taken, taken things up to the next level. Rogers in 13-14 takes us to the brink of the title. You know, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're right on the verge and then everything goes, you know, sort of splat. And I'm kind of interested in this whole idea of momentum and success as a natural progression. Julia's the 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 the, the treble season that that seems to come from that Gary Mack free kick against Everton right at the end, which which is one of those all time brilliant Liverpool goals. There's there's just pure magic in that goal, and yeah. the story unfolds, and off we go and win those those. At a canter, we can win those those trophies. Um, and then Houdier sort of talks about these, you know, we're five games from greatness, blah, blah, blah. And it's almost like you feel we're going to push on to the Premier League that Liverpool have really got and splat. It's it sort of... But then when Benitez comes in and we win the Champions League, there's a lot of discourse about the time and even rumours of some of the players saying, you know, boss, you know, we did it for you. Um, for Julier, that Julier was there at the match, was in the changing room afterwards to celebrate, and that 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 Champions League victory had somehow been built on the qualities, the winning attitudes that had been around the club, as if as if almost to diminish Benitez's role in that. And then we get, you know, the the whole idea of the Benitez trajectory of, well, we we win the Champions League, and then you know we. We do really well in Europe. We get very close with the Champions League again. There's this kind of, is Benitez going to take us to the next level? And and again, it, it sort of falls flat one season. And because of the politics involved, it's out with him. Same with Rodgers. We build up to that moment of, of almost, and it falls flat again. What I'm curious about is, do you think that with, are we just telling stories about, natural progression to winning or does winning just come out of effectively come out of nowhere like a an equalizer that you weren't expecting against AC Milan in a final when you're massively the underdogs I, 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 mean, I don't know yeah I mean it's a really interesting question and it's difficult for two Liverpool supporters to be discussing this because well certainly in, in my lifetime I've I've not I've not seen a, a momentum building side that has gone on to win multiple titles and multiple multiple trophies but clearly there is there is something in it because Fergie's era and you know the first part of Wenger's era shows that that you can build upon success I think I think the problem now is that modern football changes so often um the financial changes that are happening I think it makes it difficult for a club to 
just progress each year and then eventually reach the top. Because Manchester City went from being, you know, a bottom half middle table club in the Premier League to champions in in the space of, well, I don't know, what, five, six years, but certainly less than a decade. And that was a huge, huge leapfrog that was simply based on financial input. Obviously, they had to spend the money in the right areas. They had to bring together um, all those talents. Uh, They had to bring together a youth system. They had to play, play them in the right way. Um, they had to bring in a right manager who, you know, got them playing in the right way. So, yes, obviously it wasn't just down to money. They had to put everything together. But it shows how, you know, how much modern football can change in an instant now. And there is this added pressure on managers that you can't just build build the club each year and maybe add a new player and just keep building and then eventually hit the heights. You have to work with your surroundings as well. So we have to bear in mind that City and United have got this money that they can throw in at any point and turn a you know a good team into a great team. Liverpool don't have that kind of financial backing yet anyway. So when the moments for us to take you know those championships or take those cups arrive, we simply cannot miss them because it might take us another four or five years to get to that point again. You know, that that's the difference, I think. And that's where I think Klopp recognises that. I mean, with his his project at Dortmund was proof of, of momentum and of development before going on to win. But that was in a completely different league where there isn't the financial strengths that you get in the Premier League. So in terms of getting Premier League success, I think it's he recognises now that we have to throw everything at it and it's all or nothing. And the team needs to get that mentality in their head so that when the next, you know, obviously he lost the Europa League final in his first season. When the next European final comes round, this team are in a much better position because they know that if they don't win this, they'll be remembered as the team that lost that final again. Mm. And I think that's the difference now. And I think it's difficult um, for Liverpool because we haven't had that progression. But yeah, it, it we need we need a, a manager, we need a team, we need a squad that wins several things in the space of a couple of years to prove that that we are good enough. Yeah, it's almost like success will breed success because there is this yeah. narrative around Klopp. I mean, look at the Euro- Europa. Daniel Daniel Sturridge scores an absolutely blinder, and you think we're going to go on and win after beating United, after beating Dortmund. You know, the the narrative there is of the rise of. Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp and it falls flat on its arse basically in a dreadful performance against Seville and and then we pick ourselves up and we go again quote unquote and and it's quite <laughs> fantastic to see that we're at we're at this point now of critical I think we're at this point of critical mass where by hook or by crook things have come together now look if you're a Newcastle supporter and or if you're a a West Ham supporter you're looking at Liverpool and you're talking about Liverpool the way that we talk about Manchester City let's face it we are an incredible incredibly rich club we've got a phenomenal global support base we've got good financial management We've got a manager, We, be, you know, not to say that, of course, Newcastle believe in Benitez, but what I'm saying is there are so many good things about our club. We are not a dysfunctional football club, yet we look at City's riches and say we have to overcome this, overcome that. We are at a point now 
And I think this this gets back to really my my thoughts about going into this podcast is that it's not about the psychology of winning. It's not about individual moments. It's about everything coming together at a point of critical mass where magic can happen, where a side can come back from 3-0 down, where, and who knows when this show comes out, where, where, where Liverpool could get past Manchester City to get to the Champions League semis. I mean, that, that, that's what's so exciting. Liverpool on the march. But there is, I think, at the very core, a winning psychology in the Klopp for all that. And I've always been fascinated by the way he plays the media for all the smiling, cheeky. He's an absolute hard bastard who would destroy his grandmother to, to win a title. I'm sure of it. I'm sure yeah. that it's facade. It's a very successful one. And I'm not saying it's it's fake in any way. He probably does it naturally. But there is something disarming about it. But he is a, a winner. What's your Yeah, take? I mean, if, even in, in his press conferences and even in person, you can see that he has that tenacity. <laughs> At the end of every game, the way he celebrates. I mean, the victory against Crystal Palace in the weekend, for example, uh, I thought we were poor. Um, but we he celebrated that as if he was a fan because it means so much to him and not because of his personal record as a manager, not because he is a manager of a club that is expected to win most games in the Premier League, but because he is a football fan and he is a competitive man and he wants to win games. And I mean, even like I say, even in his press conferences, there may be moments where he, you know, if he's asked too many questions that aren't about the game of football, he gets frustrated and he says, are you going to ask me a question about football? Or, oh, I can't believe we're, you know, you're asking me this again. He says it in a jokey way because that's you know, the way he comes across. But you can sense a bit of frustration in his voice because he wants to talk about the beautiful game. He wants to play football the right way. He's very similar to Pep Guardiola, I think, in that sense. And he wants to win it in the right way, which is by playing this all-gun, all-for-nothing attacking football which is romantic and I think anyone who wants to win a game of football romantically has this extra desire that that takes them to another level because it's like you say it's a bit like Gerard like winning the Premier League with Manchester United winning the Premier League with Chelsea would have been amazing for him but it wouldn't have been good enough I don't think because a, a part of him would have always felt but it's not as good as winning the Premier League with Liverpool. And I think with Klopp, it's, you know, he could win the Premier League by, you know, Jose Mourinho style, drawing games against the top teams, winning winning enough points to get him through. But I don't think it would be good enough because he wants to win the Premier League in the right football way and, you know, in an attacking, romantic and exciting style of football. And I think that's the difference with, with Jurgen Klopp. That's really interesting because effectively what you're saying is that Klopp has an ethos, a particular philosophy of football that you've basically said that he's like Steven Gerrard, that if he can't win, Gerrard wanted to win the, the title and he wanted to win it in the Liverpool kit. Jurgen Klopp wants to win, but he wants to win it in the kit of whatever we call his mode of football, his footballing ethos. Whereas, 
And I know I mean, I'm, I, I don't know what Benitez would say or Jose Marino, but there are managers or there are players out there who will say, I don't care. I just want to win. So the curious, the curious thing here is, is Jurgen Klopp going to be the winner? And only history is going to tell us the answer to that, isn't it? Yeah, and it is, it's, it is certainly interesting. And I think it's like, like you say, I think it's down to the fact that he just doesn't want to abandon his philosophy. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to see whether there comes a point where his philosophy is questioned and whether he has to make that decision on whether he maintains it or, you know, does what's needed in order to win. But I, I just don't see that happening. I think he'll always back his philosophy and he'll back his way of football because he genuinely deep down believes that is the only way for long-term continual success. So thank you, Emma, for coming on the show. And those of you that want to get in touch with Emma, got some comments or feedback, you can find her on Twitter at E-M underscore Sandy, S-A-N-D-Y. So that's E-M underscore S-A-N-D-Y, Emma Sanders on Twitter. And if you've got comments or feedback for me, you can find me on Twitter at John Buskell, J-O-N-B-U-S-C-A-L-L. Or if you want to send the old traditional email, you can get get a message to me just by sending a message to john, J-O-N, at moondogmarketing.com. That's my email address. Of course, if you enjoy the show, do put tweets, likes, etc., etc., out there on social media. I'd love to get more people listening to the show, involved in the show. And talking of getting involved, if there's something that you'd like me to talk about, someone you'd like me to try and get on the show, or if, there, if, if you'd like to come on the show and talk about something in particular, do reach out to me. And so for all the other Anfield Index things, go along to anfieldindex.com where you'll find links to the premium shows, the free shows, the apps, all over there at anfieldindex.com. Lots of good bits of writing on the blog as well. Do go along there and check that out. And I, hopefully, will be back very, very soon with another episode in focus. Liverpool in focus. One topic, one guest, every week. Podcast Network.